0: Welcome to the Veteran Founder Podcast on the Startup Radio Network. Starting a company allows you to be back in control. The weekly show that brings together military spouse and veteran founders who are doing remarkable things in the business world. I can't imagine there's anything out there stronger than the bond military and veteran entrepreneurs have. We'll hear their story, the story of business, and lessons learned. boy can override the worries and depression. Here are your... Carmen Nazario and Josh Carter. Welcome, everybody. It is 1 p.m. on the West Coast. It can only mean one thing. It is time for the Veteran Founder Podcast. I am your host, Josh Carter. Carmen is out this week. Uh, I am very thrilled to be back. I was gone last week, but super thrilled to be back. If you are unfamiliar with the show, welcome, first of all. Second, uh, we bring in all these amazing uh, entrepreneurs from around the country who just happen to have a military background, whether that be military veterans or military spouse. We bring them on board here to talk about what they've been doing in their in their lives, and this week I am excited because uh, we have one of my favorite people, David Gowell, uh, CEO at RallyPoint. Uh, he's also one of the uh, board of directors for uh, board advisor for Vets and Tech. He's a board advisor for Wounded Warrior Project. He's a member of the board of governors for the Academy of the United States Veterans. He's a uh, Army Ranger, and I've heard that he dons a cape and plays Superman in his neighborhood. Welcome to the program, David.
1: <laughs> Thank you very much, Josh. Great to be here.
0: I'm really thrilled to talk to you. Like I said on the on the phone earlier, you know, we have a very similar network of people, having uh, you know been part of Patriot Boot Camp and uh, having spent a little time with the vets and tech people. So, uh, really excited to have you on on the show this week.
1: Yeah, it's uh, great to chat. I think the the military veteran uh, founder network and entrepreneur network is a small one. It's always good to to chat about this stuff.
0: It does seem like it It does seem like it's a very small network of people, and it gets smaller by the day. But uh, but absolutely absolutely thrilled that you're here. So you know when we when we bring people on, we talk a little bit about you know where they're from and what what prompted them to join the military. So your story is really remarkable. I want to hear a little bit more about you know where you're from, what city you grew up, in, and then uh, what prompted you to join the army
1: sure i I don't know about remarkable but uh (laughs) i was uh i grew up in the northeast uh it certainly um know didn't do anything too wild and crazy in my youth um but uh unfortunately my father passed away when i was young and it was just my brother and i and my mom was a part-time nurse and she had to figure out how to uh, take care of uh, her two boys so she got a full-time job And uh, really led by example in terms of figuring stuff out in moments of adversity. And it was um, when my brother went through high school and decided he wanted to go to West Point that I thought that would be pretty cool. I felt as a teenager, I had tons of ambition, but no direction. And I thought the military could help me with that. So uh, he went to a famous party school in New York. Mm -hmm. I followed suit and uh, it's been history ever since.
0: Nice. So, what what year did you uh, what year did you enter the uh, the army?
1: I entered when I was seventeen in nineteen ninety eight, and I graduated uh, from West Point, 2002.
0: Nice. So, uh, yeah, we were in about the similar time. We sort of thread that needle between uh, major conflicts. You you sort of had the the start of the next major conflict. Where did you end up going? I mean, you did. You were an Army Ranger. Like, what, what, uh, what areas did you end up um, being stationed in or being deployed to? Like, what, what was your, what was your experience like during the during the time that you were in?
1: Yeah, so I, uh, I graduated uh, June of two thousand two. I basically got to hang out in Fort Knox for a little bit to get my uh, Armor Officer Basic Course completed. And then I then went to Benning to pick up my Ranger tab. And my first real job was a platoon leader in Iraq in oh, wow. 2003. So I had to, uh, it was actually funny because my first uh, mission was um, we were an armor unit that was attached to an infantry battalion and um, we had to go do a raid. I looked at a bunch of my tankers that were attached to this infantry unit and none no one had done a raid before, you know, no one had to stack or do anything Yeah, and I had only done it in a sleep deprived state without real bullets in ranger school. Oh, that's all you need to do. That's
0: that's how you, that's the training right there.
1: (laughs) Well, there you go. Well, we found a, uh, you know, an NCO that was, uh, experienced from the infantry unit. We found a bombed out building that, uh, no one was around and and we trained on it. And so I kind of had a trial by fire, um, that way. Literally. uh, So I was in, exactly. So (laughs) I was in Iraq for a year. I was fortunate to bring all my guys home. That's and, awesome. uh, that was my, uh, my first military experience. Wow. And what, what,
0: what did you learn from that first experience? Like what was the most surprising thing to you about that experience?
1: <laughs> it was a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities to entrepreneurship. I think the first thing, I mean, even backing up like to ranger school, like I got recycled in the Benning phase and that was like the biggest shot to my ego. Cause I never thought that I would get recycled. I thought I would sure. just cruise through and, yeah, you know, failure is probably the greatest lesson that you could ever um, you know learn things from, and so it was um, you know first in Ranger School, having got recycled and deciding to stay, and you know to deal with the humiliation that the RIs put you through, and you're uh, waiting to to start back up and going through and graduating, and then I think just going to Iraq as well, it's just realizing just how much you don't know, right, and how important it is to find those that do know what's going on and then come up with good processes to make decisions in circumstances where there's no certain right answer. There is a lot of pressure, minimal resources, a lots at stake, um, and that yeah, that's pretty much Iraq, and that's pretty much startups.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think what the interesting parallel in startups in particular, or not startups, but the military in particular, is that you're doing this at a very young age, Right. Like all of this stuff that you're leading platoons, you're leading groups of, of other military folks. And you're doing all of this at quite a young age, which forces you not only to just grow up, but you're, you know, like you trial by four, you're trial by fire. You're having to learn all these things uh, in a really literal life or death situation.
1: <laughs> yes. That's uh, not only are you doing it at a young age, but particularly, you know, just from my experience, uh, you know, being an officer, we are getting into a unit. So I was in ranger school when the rangers jumped into Baghdad. So I was actually catching up to my unit that was deployed. And so getting there, being a young guy that's in charge when, you know, you're only pretty much about the median age of the entire unit. Right. So recognizing that you're in charge of people that are older than you that have more experience in theater, in the military in general, yeah. and figuring out how to have that that leadership um and that respect for your team and you know not walking in thinking oh look at me I'm I'm in charge you have to listen to me it's that you know, it's that um you know that that leadership that you just have to figure out on how to you know learn and lead and uh earn the respect of your team and uh you know make the right decisions and uh keep everyone safe and achieve the mission
0: and and how do you think you best did that how do you think uh you prepared yourself for for leading people that were older than you
1: um i tried to pay attention to people i um you know one of the first things i did when i got to my tank is i asked my driver how to teach me something on the tank to show that i wasn't gonna come in and tell everyone that i knew what was going on because i had my shiny butter bar and a ranger tab um (laughs) that and i could just tell i was being watched like particularly for the more seasoned guys like you get in there you just know that the eyes are on you especially when the you know, first thing you're doing is getting ready to do a raid. Like Everyone wants to know who this guy is that's um, okay. you know, going to be in charge. So I, I tried to pay as close attention to um, you know, my guys as I could about who they were, what they did. Uh, it took time. We had a, a fixed site guard one of the first nights, too, that I was there after the, the raid. And so the, you know, just popping up to the turret at the, the late shift with the guys just rotating through and talking to them about who they are, where they grew up. Uh, getting to know people, I think, really um, yeah humanizes you. And I think everyone we all quickly realized what, you know why we were there and what we were looking to do. And um, yeah, I think that was a, a very valuable approach to take.
0: Nice. So, how long did you spend in the army?
1: So, I was active duty uh, for about six years. Uh, I mentioned a very typical military experience doing the whole uh, Iraq thing to start. Yeah, uh, I had a pretty atypical uh, and very very lucky uh, exit out of the military because I was uh, I stayed an extra year beyond my commitment from the academy because I was just given this great opportunity to teach leadership at MIT. Oh wow! It was one one of my bosses who went to a boss four levels up to to get me that job because I was too young. I didn't have a company command. I didn't have a master's degree. I didn't have all the things that. The army personnel command said you needed to have to get that job. But I had platoon leader experience in Iraq, which is what all cadets would have coming out of MIT and the schools around there. That's the job they would get. So I I felt uniquely positioned to take that. And At the same time, I got married right after I graduated and I took my wife out of a great job in Boston, then dumped her in bomb holder Germany and then took off for a year to go to Iraq. (laughs) <laughs> so I was trying to figure out how to balance the whole family life thing. So I, I clearly <laughs> owed my lovely bride um, who I'm still with today with three lovely children. So I, I must've done something. right.
0: Yeah. Thank um, God for that. Right.
1: <laughs> but the, the whole idea of, of trying to manage that whole process, yeah. um, it was, was complex. And so I, I stayed active for six years. Um, I was trying to, uh, parlay a maneuver where I, I do ROTC and, and teach that at MIT, and then maybe go to Fort Carson and get a command out there, which was another great place that my wife would might be able to you know get work and you know, go back to work before um, she had kids. Uh, but that just wasn't in the cards. You know, We were uh, you know working pretty hard at MIT, and that's where I really uh, became an entrepreneur. And um, I was fortunate to stay in the reserves and still do. Uh, ROTC for a couple more years. Uh, you know, obviously a very limited capacity where I started uh, my first company, and that was just that was a gift because most people transition out of the military don't do it in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and aren't don't have that uh, that network around them to help them figure out and um, you know what they can do from starting a company or really any civilian career. So I, uh, I owe Boston and a lot of people a lot for everything that they've done for me during that transition.
0: What was the experience like for you transitioning out of active duty to something that is, it's a college campus, right? Like it, that's, those are night and day. I mean, there's chaos, obviously, but a different kind of chaos. Like what was that? <laughs> how did you, how were you able to successfully transition uh, into those roles?
1: Yeah, well, it was uh, certainly the network, um, and it was even more chaotic than one might think because you know Cambridge, Massachusetts hasn't been known to be the most military-friendly place in the world in right. history. And but, and I would, in my one of my predecessors at MIT actually told me not to wear my uniform on campus. And I was <laughs> you know fresh out of the military. I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Like that is not going to happen. Right. I never had one negative experience though. That's not good. one. I you know walk around uniform. People would ask me you know what it was like to be deployed and. I felt that the tide was changing by that point. Right. And um, it was really that network, not only Cambridge, but certainly the greater Boston area, where I figured out that I knew nobody. Like, I was coming back from a couple tours in Europe and I heard people talking about networking and I found this LinkedIn thing. And I just realized, like, I had no clue what I wanted to do as a civilian. Right. But still, filled with ambition and the idea that I wanted to do something. That was exciting. I started to, to network and to get to people. And my approach was simply to, especially early on, was to use LinkedIn to just connect people and uh, to target people I wanted to figure out that I thought would be uh, helpful advisors. And by getting to them, I would meet with them and I had a pretty simple talk track. I said, hey, listen, you, you've done amazing things, very impressive background. I'd love to buy you a coffee, uh, just tell you my plan about my transition and then eventually the company I wanted to start. And I just want you to beat me up. And please don't be candid. Don't don't be nice to me because I'm a military guy. So I come into this meeting with a bad idea and you don't tell me it's a bad idea. I'm gonna go out of here and I'm gonna execute on it. Yeah. So please be candid. <laughs> and it's like ten out of ten meetings, they would buy the coffee, they would give me helpful advice, some some more candid than others. Sure. And and they would make two or three intros. And then I would follow up and, and try to stay in touch and be as helpful as I could so I didn't feel like such a mooch. And every time I asked people what I could do to repay them, they just kept telling me to pay it forward. Yeah. At some point, someone else is going to be in transition. They're going to be having a hard time um, and help them out. And that's been uh, that that was the greatest gift uh, that I could have asked for coming out of the military. There's a lot of people in Boston. I still owe a lot of
0: coffees to and a lot more than that, uh, because <laughs> of that. Nice. Uh, we've been talking to David Gowley. He's the CEO at Rally Point. We're going to take our first break. We will be back right after this. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash Radio. And we're back. So, uh, you know, David, you were, ta- you, you were talking a little bit about your time at MIT, uh, and then you were meeting with people about uh, your startup idea. What was that first idea for you? What, what, number, number one, what sparked the entrepreneurial mindset for you? And then what was your first idea?
1: You know, they, a lot of people say, you know, are entrepreneurs born or grown? I, I've always kind of been entrepreneurial since I realized I could buy sports drinks in bulk at wholesale and sell them out of my car in high school. Um, <laughs> so that might count as my first idea. That, that didn't go far. Nice. Um, but I actually had a, my first idea was was actually when I was in Germany. Okay. It was around uh, creating a whole new way to buy homes that would revolutionize the residential real estate market. Okay. And um, I had this idea, I built a business plan, I put tons of time and research into it, and I got to one of those advisors that I mentioned earlier, someone who had a lot of knowledge in the space, and this was the 06, 07 timeframe. Okay. You know, if you recall what happened in 08, wasn't the yeah. best time to be in residential real estate. <laughs> Well, it was actually a a West Point grad who is the uncle of one of my high school friends that pulled me aside at a social gathering where I was kind of talking about this idea. And he gave me the most candid feedback. He said, Dave, you've never bought a house. You don't have experience in this space. This is a very capital intensive business. Don't do this. You will bankrupt yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So that was my first idea. And that was my first (laughs) dose of candid feedback where looking back at that, that timeline that, you know, I realized that I wasn't uh, thinking about what I knew how to do, or right. was thinking about what I thought made sense in more of an idealist fashion. And uh, Jim, his name's Jim Murphy. If you're listening, I, I owe you a beer for that. Um, <laughs> so that was idea number one. Nice. Uh, that didn't work out too well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, idea number two, or seven, or you know, some other number. Iteration four point five. Yeah, it, it came when I was at MIT because I got to MIT, and I remember making fun of. One of my friends at the uh, captain's career course, uh, because he was using all this social media stuff. And I felt that social media was uh, a waste of time. It was a fluffy thing that it didn't help you really interact with people and get stuff done. And uh, he told me that once I got to uh, academia, that I would realize that this was the way of the future. Um, and and that, uh, someone else, that was Amos O. Uh, so Amos, if you're out there, you know, I actually wrote about him in my book, Nice. Um, how uh, he, he told me something that I would soon find to be true. And within five minutes of getting to MIT, I realized that I was a fool and that what my students were doing with social media was that they were sifting through massive amounts of data and having fun with it at a scale I could never think of, uh, think about when I was an undergrad. I just had all this access to information about all their friends all around the country and what they were doing. And so it was there that I got this understanding of the power of social media, particularly the data behind it and how you could use it to achieve things I couldn't. And then my wife, who I mentioned earlier, was actually running marketing for a tech firm. And and I'd go home at night and have dinner with her, and I'd talk about what I'm learning from the cadets, and she would tell me about her job, and there was a huge demand for people that actually knew how to use social media at that time. So that's where we started our first company. I was still in you know, at, at MIT. She was the the talent the full-time leader of the company. I was the nights and weekends intern. And basically that business got to the point where all that stuff I was doing with LinkedIn ultimately, you know, towards the time when I became when I went into the reserves, that became the driver of revenue. And there was a huge demand out there. And so it was really that whole experience—that again, the gift I was given to be sent to MIT—that lit the spark, that corrected my my wrong uh, you know, perception of what social media right. was and what it wasn't, and then that's how I got down the path of of being focused on leveraging social media to actually do meaningful things.
0: Yeah. So the book, "The Power in a Link: Open Doors, Close Deals, and Change the Way You Do Business Using LinkedIn," uh, is on Amazon right now. Good reviews, man. Holy crap. Lots. Of, I was just uh, re- reading some of the reviews while you were uh, while you were talking there, and uh, you really. I I find it interesting anytime somebody uh, is a skeptic that turns into an expert. I think that's that's probably the best uh, path because you're 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 using all of your biases from the onset to sort of crush them down as you you know learn things and how you become how how you l- learn to utilize something that's valuable. So I lo- I love it.
1: Yeah, I think in my case I just I also quickly learned in my career that ego has to go out the window if you want to survive yeah. in Iraq. And the more I think stubborn and bullheaded that people are on, on their beliefs of, of what the way things are they should be, I don't think you can survive in particularly technology, but just in startups and entrepreneurship in general. If you don't, you know, listen to other people and, and be observant and challenge your own thoughts about the way things are and they should be, and you know, now being in a software company, I mean, experimenting, fast failing, you know, having an expectation and looking for it to fail so you don't waste time, is uh, it's a mentality that I think is is critical to uh, to really grow quickly.
0: So, what do you think you've learned from your time in the military, starting these businesses, uh, and and w- we usually go deeper into the program before I ask this question, but you touched on something and I'm really curious about it. So. What do you think in these early ideas that, that you took away from the military to, to figure out how to best run these businesses? Does that question make sense?
1: I think so. I'll okay. take a stab at it. You can <laughs> tell me if I'm wrong, and I'll fail fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think the first thing is the power of the team. Like That actually is something that um, yeah, I, I guess I initially thought that if you work hard enough, you can do anything. Mm-hmm. Then I learned that if you work hard enough and you have an amazing team around you, then you can really do anything. Um, it was even later that I realized that your own hard work, your team, and the network um, was kind of the trio of uh, of what really gets you to to accomplish stuff. But I mean, just realizing—I think—being in the military and being given a unit and told to go lead—that mm-hmm. um, that's hard. And you often find, you know, for any of the green tab leaders out there, that you spend. of your time with 10% of your soldiers. Uh, I was actually, I took over from my company commander once when I was an XO and I was, he went away for a week to Egypt while we were in Germany. And one of our soldiers tried to kill someone. Oh man. And like, that was a lot of time I then spent and it was a pretty gruesome situation that I kept afterwards. I I met the guy uh, three in the morning when he was covered in blood and he had some story. And I had to go to the prison to visit them the, the subsequent months. Um, being able to start a company and and hire the the people you want to was amazing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so team is everything. And being able to have candid conversations with that team, um and ultimately, you know being slow to hire and thoughtful about who you bring on, and bring in exceptional people and let them do exceptional things, I think, is, is one of those huge takeaways I took from the military.
0: That's awesome. So in, in growing and building these businesses, what do you think was the most important thing for you to understand early on that either led to its success or its downfall?
1: Yeah, I think uh, for me, it's what I'm good at and what I'm not. And to go find advisors or team mm-hmm. that could fill in the gaps. Because ultimately, if you have enough intelligent people observing recent data on experiments or tests or customer calls or reviews of MVPs, sooner or later, you're going to feel pretty good about calling something a failure or or, or continuing to iterate. And so I think that it all starts with your ability to, to recognize what you're good at and improve what you need to improve upon. Uh, there are certain things that if you're running a company, like I, I think you need to be able to sell your product. Yeah. And I think you need to be able to sell your product in a way that isn't um, you know, being a snake oil salesman. You have to genuinely care that what you're selling your customer is going to make them uh, get them the benefit they want. And you have to be willing to, to say no to a deal, even if somebody wants to do a deal that you don't think that there's a chance that they're going to succeed. Um, and so I, I think there's a lot of that self-awareness that's uh, critical. And, and ultimately, that helps you find the people that Will become your team, your advisors, your investors, your customers, your board members. You know your 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 future of all of the above by networking and staying in close contact with people that uh, can be you know pulled off the shelf when you have a question that you'd love for them to to help you out with.
0: Nice. What was the next idea that you had? And we mentioned a little bit of the real estate thing, but what was the next idea that you had that you took and and re- tried to make a run at it with?
1: Yeah, so the the business that I had started in 2000, when my wife started in 2007, that I was the co-founder with, that I was so scared early on that anyone would ask me a question when I was in a meeting because I didn't understand any of the lingo of business. That's something that I took over in 08. I, I let it, and I got to the point where I was doing um, by 2010, I was doing about 110 LinkedIn sessions around the country a year. Oh wow! And in fact, the the last uh, one of the last LinkedIn sessions I did. I got paid $10,000 for two hours of my time. Oh, my goodness. And I said, oh, this is incredible. Like, And I, and I, I had had a lot of people that only thought in scale and technology, you know, particularly in the Cambridge area. And our office was at MIT. It was in a co-working center uh, called CIC. And so being around that, I said, I got to scale. Hmm. And uh, so I was doing all the LinkedIn consulting training, tying it into primarily – uh, executive connections and sales uh, u- utility. And that's when I had the idea to scale what I was doing and uh, go raise money and uh, basically build a software platform. That was something that um, it would allow me to scale what I was doing, but across many different technologies. So LinkedIn and Salesforce and SAP and all these other tools. The, the quick learning that I got was that I was building, I, I, it's Quick, it took some time to, to learn this, is that I was building a enterprise software company without experience in enterprise software. Um, so I got all excited about what I was doing. I blitzed forward to start this thing and I had a lot of learnings and we were able to actually get GE as one of our customers. And it was great because it was this great laboratory of figuring out um, You know, that, that they're paying for our software and they're helping us innovate. And it was one of those great relationships where we have a customer helping you do, you know, build what they're going to buy. And you know that was something that I <laughs> had many more learnings on, and I ultimately went down the process of um, you know, thinking that I was about to sell the company, and it's something that I uh, thought you know we were far enough down the process for, and I didn't have a plan when that went sideways, and so when I was approached to lead Rally Point, which I had been a fan of, and I'd known the founder since the beginning. Um, I, I waved it off and I said, hey, listen, I'm, I'll, I'll help you find someone, got an exciting business. I'm not the right fit. Um, well, my, my uh, business that I, I thought I was going to be selling, the deal went sideways. And I ended up going to uh, call you on back and say, you know, let me think about that job. <laughs> and yeah, that was yet another great learning in, in the entrepreneurial world. I'm, I, I
0: really want to dig into that, but we're going to take our second break. We've been talking to uh, David Gowell. He's the CEO at Rally Point right now, and we'll be back right after our second break. Today's episode of The Veteran Startups is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. For instance media relations. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this. Press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. Check them out at publicize.co and tell them Carmen and Josh sent you. And we're back with David Galleys, the CEO at Rally Point. I really want to dig into that. You were just talking about a failure of your business, and I really want to understand a bit more about that because I think a lot of people, you know and you touched on it at the beginning of the program, that you know failure teaches us more sometimes than success. So what do you think that taught you about running a business uh, as you were winding down that other business?
1: Well, I think it's, uh, it's a lesson that, uh, if you're a fan of Coach K, that he talks about in his book, about the next play mentality. Yeah. No matter what goes well, always focus on the next play. No matter what goes wrong, always focus on the next play. And I think that you know what I had seen in the past is that there would be periods where I would work so hard and I would achieve a lot of success. And I would get a little too high on myself and I would, I would get a little too comfortable and confident and complacent. And I think one of the things I, I clearly picked up is just how to build, uh, more thoughtful, robust contingency plans for things. Right. And that when, when big things happen, step back and say, okay, well, how big is this? You know, I, I regularly hear a lot of entrepreneurs talk about having a great meeting it's like, "Oh, We had a great meeting with this company. Like, well, it's a meeting. Right. And, you know, and actually something I learned from another, uh, advisor, um, is actually Marsh Carter, a '62 West Point grad who defected and became a Marine, and then, uh, you know, basically in Vietnam got the Navy Cross. He told me that one of the things that I should expect in as I was transitioning out was that civilians aren't as as uh, high integrity, unfortunately, in a lot of t- cases as people in the military. If you're in a stressful situation, more often than not, if people are saying things to you in the military, you could kind of believe them. At least from uh, from my experience, and a lot of times in the civilian life, um, you know, people will tell you things that you might want to hear that eh, they just you know might be using for their own benefit, right? And and so that was something that you know I had learned, and um, well, you know that that led to many other learnings, uh, you know, down the road.
0: Nice. So tell me about Rally Point. You got mixed in with this in 2016. What was the uh, what was the conversation like about? joining RallyPoint?
1: Well, so I actually got mixed in with RallyPoint uh, early on. So know uh, Weiss is a, a founder and a friend who uh, was actually, he came to one of my LinkedIn sessions that I mentioned I was teaching. And he and Aaron uh, just became uh, totally focused on the idea that something like that had to exist for the military. Right. Because at the time I was teaching a lot of veterans how to use LinkedIn and I would recognize after the fact that they didn't necessarily uh, excel in it and, and they didn't fill out their profiles. And a big part of that was if you didn't go to a, a school that you're comfortable with, or you didn't know how to speak the civilian language, building out a LinkedIn profile wasn't easy when all your experience was in this jargon filled world of the military. And so, uh, you know, basically, um, you know, it was at that point that I was a friendly advisor to Rally Point for several years. And um, as uh, the team had just done an incredible job of uh, building something that just seems so natural, um, it was uh, Yunan who had approached me again and said, "Hey, listen, we've got we're growing the member base, and uh, we want to be thoughtful about how we treat those members and connect them to corporations to really scale the business side of this company." And that's where, given everything I had done in the enterprise software space and work with large companies my network had naturally been uh, with military folks in these companies. So I had a good feel for what we wanted to do. And so um, it was 2016 that I was uh, incredibly fortunate to be selected by the founders and the board to come on and and take the guide on and lead the company. And since then, it's just been an incredible experience of being able to uh, support now the 1.6 million members we have on our platform that are currently serving, that are veterans, that are uh, family members, including spouses and children, and uh, wounded you know, wounded warrior caregivers, survivors, all these people that make up the military community. And first and foremost, we help them connect with each other. Uh, they have created over 415,000 discussions that are tagged and curated on our site so we can serve them to other members who could benefit from those discussions. And yeah, the, the members are adding 10,000 plus discussions a month and we are doing our best to make sure that we connect those members to the employers that can hire them, the partners like the VA and other great programs that have services or programs for them. And it's, it's just been it's been a blast. And I'm, uh, uh, again, very lucky to ha- be given yet another opportunity from my network that uh, is just one more lesson in my entrepreneurial path.
0: It's awesome. So uh, Rally Point, help me understand the business model. Like, How do you guys make money in this platform?
1: Yeah, so a good way to think about us is we're kind of like a combination of LinkedIn plus Facebook, but just for the military. So our business model is very similar to LinkedIn's. So we have talent solutions and marketing solutions. We allow organizations to come on our site and share advertisements with our members, assuming that we believe that those are um, corporations and, and other types of organizations that have our members' interests, their best interests in mind. Uh, Of course, the other benefit that we have is that we have incredible uh, members that put in their military experience. We don't tell them to translate away that background. So because they put in their military experience in the words and the units and the ranks that they know it, that becomes very useful for employers who know who they want to hire. So we've got some fantastic customers that you can see on the site. And we have case studies with the Secret Service, the Army Reserves and the Air Force Reserve. And and organizations that come to us because we have so much, uh, you know, such a vibrant community of, of folks that are, you know, being military in, in a confident, comfortable way, um, and that's you know basically how we make money and continue to grow.
0: Nice. What uh, what do you think your your biggest challenge when you think of Rally Point as it relates to, you know, obviously LinkedIn has this network that's basically wide open. How do you compete with the others? Other formats and the other platforms in the world doing something similar.
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So we actually don't see us competing at all. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about when I was in Iraq. I always had an M4 and an M9 on me at all times. Mm -hmm. Two different weapons. You don't use them at the same time unless you're in some Rambo scene. You know, they're complementary tools that do different things at different times. right? And and so what we do is we are a very focused military platform. You come to us when you need that. And we know our members are using other, other platforms from LinkedIn to, to Facebook and others. And we don't we try to change that. In fact, we try to learn from that. And we try to learn from what we can provide that our members aren't getting elsewhere. And so I think when you talk about challenges, our biggest challenge is thinking about what else Uh, what to choose from, from a large opportunity set. I think that opportunity set is actually best uh, exemplified by one of our uh, more recent partners, which is the Department of Veteran Affairs. Hmm. The VA has produced this veteran's journey map that maps out the entire lifetime of a veteran from joining through death and talks about all the key milestones that they face throughout that experience, And the fascinating thing is that when we took all of those 400,000 plus discussions that I mentioned that are all tagged and organized and we layered them on top of that map, the entire map lit up. And we can see that our members are talking about viewing, engaging, voting, commenting, responding on those discussions at the millions of views level. And we created that map. And so that is something that when we look at, we say, okay, we know what our members are talking about. How are we going to better support them using this platform that breaks down the silos that are kind of typical to the military life, where you're not encouraged as a junior enlisted military member to go network with the general, at the officer club down down the street? Like that's not cool. But on rally Point, you get to see the percept- you know, the perspectives, you get to see answers from individuals from all conflicts, all ranks, all around the world. And that's that's the challenge is how do we pick? uh, the, you know, those opportunities to pursue that are going to be the most, uh, impactful for all of our members across that journey.
0: That's awesome. What, what do you see as the future of RallyPoint? Where do you, where do you want to see this go say five years from now? I know that's a hard question to answer because I don't even know where I'm going five minutes from now, but where do you see the company going in, in
1: five years? Great question. So I, I, our vision is to be the platform that digitally connects the, the military community, enabling a lifetime of support. You know That idea that we could be kind of this API layer between DOD and the VA, which inherently don't always work closely together to facilitate transition from service member to veteran. And, and that, that accounts for the families and everyone around that service member becoming a veteran as well we have all this incredible discussion that our members are having with each other and their needs are there. And so five years from now, you know, I very much like to make sure that we are delivering on an order of magnitude greater number of those uh, discussions in ways that we're connecting, you know, those 40,000 plus nonprofits out there that have great intentions, but oftentimes don't have the reach to get their great services to the right service member, veteran, family member caregiver, survivor at the right time, that's where we're going. And that's where we're looking for anyone who's uh, listening to us today to join us in that journey.
0: What's interesting to me is that, you know, as, as I've sort of navigated the different aspects of our community, what I've noticed is that they often operate in a silo. And I'm sure you've seen this too, is that, you know, even uh, and I'll call it out vets in tech versus Bunker Labs versus Patriot Bootcamp. right? They all kind of work t- together in a way to sort of feed work f- deal flow through each other. right? If one veterans going into vets and in tech and wants to sort of further their entrepreneurial journey, they sort of feed into one another or or vice versa, right. um how How do you see Rally Point being sort of the centerpiece for not only employment but entrepreneurship?
1: It's a great, great question. So I actually don't see us being the centerpiece, rather a complementary partner to everybody. Like I, I, I recognize what we do well. We're a software platform. We're a software platform that is focused on connecting people at scale. I don't want to uh, have you come into our office and learn how to do a you know, learn how to code something. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to get a certain type of mental health uh, support from my team. Uh, I think what we, as Rally Point and what every nonprofit and every entity out there, you know, for- profit, governmental, et cetera, should realize what each of us is good at and what we're not True. Sure. partner with those that are good at what we're not. and that's that's exactly what we're doing.
0: That makes sense. Do you feel like there are uh, entities out there that you could partner with? That could provide your community with more value outside of the VA because uh, you know people on instantly go to the VA and that's sort of you know the the de facto default place you go to as a veteran. Uh, but what other groups do you think would would benefit from a partnership with Rally Point uh, to the benefit of, the, of your community?
1: Yeah, there are so many good ones out there, Josh. And I think, you know, just to highlight, um, you know, a couple of the great ones. So, I mean, you mentioned Vets in Tech. You know, an organization that helps get veterans and that inherent leadership uh, experience that we have into uh, technology companies and technol- get the skills that will help them succeed, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, organizations like Student Veterans of America, you know, the ability for you to find uh, the the opportunity to to leverage the education that you're getting to support you in the, uh, jobs that you want to get in the future. And ideally start thinking about that as far upstream as possible before you've become a veteran. Sure. Like the SVA, you know, James and Jared are great, great leaders over there doing great things. And uh, I think, you know, for us, you know, the, the great thing is that we, we have personal relationships with many different organizations, but, but we don't need to choose. We actually like to listen to our members. We let our members uh, engage on the platform, and we listen to what they tell us that they're interested in, and then react react to them yeah. to try to find the right partners that that seem to suit what they're interested in. And you know, as interesting as one of the things that we figured out, um, you know, for example, one of our best performing uh, uh, talent customers was the VA. The the VA had a lot of veterans wanting to go work there, and so we signed the MOU in uh, the end of last year with the VA, not only as something that we thought could be good for us, but primarily because our, our members were giving us the signals that they not only wanted you know, the clear benefits from yeah, education to healthcare, uh, but they even wanted to work there. And so figuring out how to tighten those connections that our members give us the signals that they're interested in is um, how we try to pick the right partners to, to support that population.
0: I think it's a good way for any business, right? You think you you listen to your customers uh, at the end of the day, and that's where that's what sort of drives your product roadmap.
1: Agreed. Yeah, Secretary Wilkie talks often about customer service being such a high priority for the VA. Yeah, and our, our chairman, yes, eighth Secretary of the VA, Bob McDonald, had the same interest. Nice. At the end of the day, if you focus too much on your organization and not your customer that's where I think people lose sight of the organization that they're growing or leading. If you keep that, that customer um, and in you know center of uh, the picture, you know, for us, it's both our members and you know, the organizations that we serve. I think that's you know, probably one of the greatest lessons you can learn in, in any type of organization that you lead, uh, be it uh, governmental, military, civilian, you know, for-profit, nonprofit, et cetera.
0: Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So I asked this of all of the guests, Towards the end of the program, and it's uh, it's what is the one thing that you've messed up so badly uh, that you just went? I'm never going to do that again. And what have you done to mitigate the risk of you doing that again?
1: <laughs> yes. So uh, going back back to Coach K, uh, giving him as much airtime as he can because they're not uh, going to be playing this coming week. I, I'm going to um, tell you how sad I am about that, by the way. <laughs> I, I am with you. I, uh, I, I think it's it's that whole idea of um, failing to become paranoid when you make uh, interim successes. and it's it's getting too excited before that uh, you know the the final you know buzzer has sounded um, that you've you've achieved something when you haven't and and right. that's where i I do think that. You know, those battle scars that you pick up along, you know, your entrepreneurial experiences teach you and, you know, give you fodder for discussion to, to teach to other people. Um, but but basically just making sure that, you know, you stay with a, a steady hand as you, particularly if you're leading an organization, it's your job to to stay focused, keep a steady hand and, you know, make sure that others on your team do the same. Because that's when, um, you know, uh, when the car starts going the fastest, that's when you have the the highest risk of a a dangerous crash.
0: Right. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. Dave, where can people find you?
1: So I am uh, online a lot of places, but certainly I would love for everyone to join RallyPoint. Yeah. And you can easily search for me and we often get the question, oh, I can't join RallyPoint because I'm a civilian. And that is uh, not the case. It might look a little intimidating when you go through the registration process. We certainly don't want people on the platform that don't feel like they're part of the military community. But if you just go to RallyPoint.com, you sign up, um, and you search for Dave Gowell, I will be there waiting for you. That's awesome.
0: I love it, man. Uh, and then uh, LinkedIn, the, your book, uh, talk, where can people find the book?
1: So the book is on Amazon. And, uh, it's, uh, certainly something that I think if you are starting a company, uh, or you're a veteran that's just transitioning, it's filled with a lot of stories of the things I did well and the things I didn't do so well in that journey. So, uh, if you do happen to pick it up, uh, I hope you enjoy it.
0: Yeah. It's called the power in a link, open doors, close deals, and change the way you do business using linkedin by dave gal sir uh thank you so much for your service thank you so much for being on the program and uh and we look forward to hearing more for, about Raleigh point as as uh, you guys progress
1: thanks josh this is great i love what you're doing and uh i look forward to staying in touch
0: thank you sir you've been listening to the veteran founder podcast on the startup radio network tune in on friday at 1 p.m every week uh pacific time zone uh we will see you next week listen learn and get shit done Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. Together, you and Ruby transform your phone into the sales engine it was meant to be. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com forward slash startup radio to sign up or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code startupruby.